0: From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins.
1: Well, good afternoon. Welcome to this Wednesday edition of Washington Watch. I'm Jody Heiss, a Senior Vice President here at the Family Research Council. An honor to be sitting in today for Tony, and I want to thank you as well for making Washington Watch part of your day today. All right, coming up on the program, we've got a lot to cover. As you've probably heard by now, the Supreme Court of Colorado has ruled they, that that uh, former President Donald Trump cannot appear on that state's presidential ballot next year, stating he is disqualified by their Constitution for leading an insurrection. And, of course, Democrats all over are gleeful that there's another obstacle in front of the front-runner of the Republican Party, even if it's highly, highly questionable. I don't think it really matters if he's unfit to hold office. Um, We should all be encouraged by any action that makes it less likely that he will return to the presidency. Well, that was Senator Chris Coons speaking with CNN. Congressman Ron Estes will give us his reaction and discuss what comes next a little bit later in the program. And for years, we've heard the left fearmonger over threats to democracy. And yet we continue to see concerted strategy by the left to hijack the legal system to take out a political opponent that they, frankly, don't believe they can beat at the polls. So is this the real threat to democracy? I'll talk about it with Mike Davis from the Article 3 project here in just a few moments. And speaking of threats, the BIDEN BORDER CRISIS CONTINUES TO BRING RECORD NUMBERS OF ILLEGAL MIGRANTS ACROSS THE SOUTHWEST BORDER EVERY DAY.
2: EVERY YEAR THE NUMBER KEEPS CLIMBING, PROJECTED FOR 2024 OVER 3 MILLION PEOPLE. THIS ADMINISTRATION, THE BIDEN ADMINISTRATION, THIS IS THEIR POLICY, THIS IS THE BIDEN BORDER CRISIS. THEY HAVE LOST COMPLETELY OPERATIONAL CONTROL OF THE SOUTHERN BORDER.
1: Well, that was Senator John Thune yesterday during a Senate GOP leadership press conference. Well, what is the situation on the ground? What's it like for U.S. citizens in towns along the border as these numbers continue to climb? Well, we'll get a report from Sheriff Mark Danels, who oversees the border in uh, Arizona and one of the communities there. And then finally, a campaign of attacks on commercial ships in the Red Sea by Iran-backed Houthi militants has led shipping companies to say that they're going to avoid the area altogether. And that has led the Biden administration to announce a coalition to try to respond to these attacks. These reckless Houthi attacks are a serious international problem, and they demand a firm international response. So this morning, we've launched Operation prosperity guardian. Well that was U.S. Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin yesterday speaking in Bahrain. The announcement comes as frustration builds over the administration's failure to take action and I'll be speaking a little bit later in the program with retired Army Lieutenant Colonel Robert McGinnis before Gordon Chang who will also be joining me to explain what or who has enabled these attacks. So it's got a lot ahead for you. You don't wanna miss a bit of it, of course. If you do, you can always catch it at our website, TonyPerkins.com. We encourage you to check out that website. A lot of great resources there, a lot of great archive programs. And also, before we get started again, let me just remind you, as we begin a new year here in just a few days, uh, I wanna encourage you to join us for FRC's Bible Reading Plan as it will start brand new on January 1st. And you can uh, join us the best way ever is by getting your Stand on the Word journal. And for a generous tax-deductible donation here at year-end, we'll send you a free copy of that journal. So uh, come on, join us. Uh, You will be thrilled to participate in this incredible Bible reading plan. To give or order today to get your journal, simply call one 800 225 4008 and we look forward to you joining us in that Bible reading time. All right, the Colorado State Supreme Court ruled yesterday that former President Donald Trump is ineligible to hold office again. They're saying that he engaged in an insurrection against the constitution. It was a 4 to 3 decision in that state supreme court. And that decision is already drawing fire from legal experts. It literally marks the first time a court has kept a presidential candidate off the ballot. With the Trump team appealing to this to the U.S. Supreme Court, what is this ultimately going to mean for the 2024 presidential race? And what does it tell us about the left and their ability, their willingness to use the legal system to attack political opponents? Well, joining me now to discuss this is Mike Davis. He's the founder of the Article Three Project. He previously served in all three branches of our government, including as chief counsel for nominations to Senate Judiciary Chairman uh, Chuck Grassley. He also served in the Department of Justice during the George W. Bush administration and on the staff of Supreme Court Justice Neil Gorsuch. So, Mike, welcome back to Washington Watch. Great to have you.
3: Thank you for having me back.
1: All right. Well, uh, first of all, your reaction to the court's decision yesterday from Colorado. This was an abomination by
3: four partisan activists on the Colorado Supreme Court. The Colorado Supreme Court is completely controlled by Democrat appointees, seven to nothing. And this decision was so bad by these four left wing activists that three of their Democrat colleagues dissented strongly to what, they did here, and it is unprecedented, like you said, that they disqualified a presidential candidate and they used a bogus legal theory under the 14th Amendment to the Constitution. Section three of the 14th Amendment was enacted back in 1868 to prevent insurrectionists who who took up arms against the United States during the Civil War from undermining the Civil War, post-Civil War reconstruction effort in the Union. And it was never intended to be a political weapon used by partisan activists on state Supreme Courts to go after their political enemies. and That's exactly what the Colorado Supreme Court did in this ruling. If you want to disqualify a an officeholder under Section 3 of the 14th Amendment, Congress has to pass a federal criminal statute, which Congress did in 1869 related to insurrection or rebellion. You have to bring federal charges. A federal grand jury has to approve those federal charges. A federal jury has to find uh, unanimously find guilt beyond a reasonable doubt. The federal court has to convict, and that conviction must be upheld on appeal. That is the only way you can disqualify under Section 3 of the 14th Amendment. There is a con- controlling opinion by uh, Supreme Court Justice Samuel Chase from 1869 that says just that, and Democrats disregarded all of this and had four Democrat operatives on the Colorado Supreme Court disenfranchised more than a million Colorado voters who supported President Trump last time and would certainly support him this time.
1: Yeah, It really is stunning, this whole thing. And as you brought up, these uh, Supreme Court justices are appointed. uh, They're not elected. So they're all appointed by uh, what seems to be radical left-wing Democrat operatives is what they have become. But I did read some of the dissenting opinion today, and as you referenced, some of the dissent, even they are Democrats, but the dissenting opinion on this is is uh, scorching. Uh, how in the world, Mike, can a state court rule that there was an insurrection when the federal grand jury rejected all the insurrection charges? How does the state take that which the federal court rejected AND THEY INSERT IT AND SAY HE'S NOT QUALIFIED. YEAH, I MEAN,
3: THAT'S EXACTLY RIGHT. JACK SMITH, WHO IS A PARTISAN BULLDOG, COULDN'T EVEN FIND EVIDENCE OF INSURRECTION TO CHARGE PRESIDENT TRUMP AND HIS SUPPORTERS. BECAUSE THINK ABOUT IT. HOW MANY INSURRECTIONISTS GO UNARMED INTO A NATION'S CAPITAL, GET TO THE SENATE FLOOR, WALK THROUGH VELVET ropes, FOLLOW POLICE DIRECTION, AND DON'T BURN DOWN THE PLACE? JANUARY 6TH WAS A LAWFUL PROTEST that was permitted by the National Park Service and devolved into a riot. It was not an insurrection. Otherwise, Jack Smith would have charged insurrection. And how they found insurrection in Colorado was particularly egregious. The Denver District Court Judge Sarah Wallace donated to an anti-Trump January 6th PAC to chase Republicans out of office. Yet she sat on this case. She refused to recuse reversible error, and she found an insurrection based upon a five-day very limited trial that I sat through all five days on an election challenge where you're just deciding whether election rules are followed not whether there's an insurrection not whether this is there's a constitutional argument argument to be resolved a novel one for the first time in American history under a constitutional provision passed 155 years ago this is as bad as it gets and even these three Democrat dissenters on the Supreme Court say so
1: Yeah, I I can't imagine what the media would be doing right now if this were reversed. And uh, if the whole thing were reversed, this would just be uh, unbelievable what we would be hearing. Let me ask you this, because I brought this up as we entered into our time together, but we hear all the time from the left about threats to our democracy, that Trump is a threat, Trump followers are threats to our democracy, all sorts of things this lawfare as it's going to be known where the judiciary is attacking political opponents is this in itself in your opinion a threat to democracy
3: 100 percent. these are republic ending tactics by these democrat prosecutors and democrat attorneys and operatives and judges and these democrat uh places like new york dc atlanta now colorado remember how the roman republic fell it was the lawfare waged against caesar which caused him to cross the rubicon from gaul into rome and that led to the fall of the roman republic right it led to civil war and the fall of the roman republic i'm not going to say that this is going to lead to violence but this will lead to political and legal tit for tat back and forth between the parties that will that will lead to the destruction of america as we know it these democrats who are pretending like they're defending, protecting democracy, are actually destroying democracy. How the heck does disenfranchising more than a million Colorado voters who support Trump, how does that in any way protect democracy?
1: Absolutely. So this goes to the Supreme Court, the U.S. Supreme Court. Now, what do you anticipate is going to happen there? Well, the Supreme Court has
3: discretionary review. They don't have to take almost any case, but they certainly— should take this case because this is the first time ever that this has happened where a presidential candidate has been removed from a state ballot based upon a bogus legal theory and this sets a destructive precedent for our country because it's obvious Trump's not going to win Colorado it's it's become a deep blue state since they went to all mail ballots and legalized weed and all the 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 leftists have moved in here from Colorado or from New York and in california but what it does is it sets a precedent where other states swing states can point to colorado like michigan like minnesota like new hampshire and say look here's the precedent we're going to use to take trump off the ballot in these swing states the democrats are so fearful that after impeaching trump twice for nonsense indicting him four times for non-crimes illegally unconstitutionally gagging him twice trying to bankrupt him for non-fraud that all backfired trump is beating Biden like a drum on November 5th, 2024. So now they just want to destroy democracy by removing the leading presidential candidate from the ballot. The Supreme Court must fix this.
1: I think that's exactly what's taking place. You hit it right on the head. Mike Davis from Article 3 Project, thank you so much for joining us. Merry Christmas to you. All right, friends, coming up, we're gonna continue this landmark decision coming out of the Colorado State Supreme Court. We'll be talking with Kansas Congressman Ron Estes going further into this whole issue. So stay tuned. Much more coming right after the break.
4: Get this free guide at frc.org slash pro to learn more about the important role men play in protecting unborn lives.
1: Well, welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm your host, Jody Heiss, sitting in today for Tony. Hope you've had a fantastic day. Glad to have you with us. All right. We want to continue to examine the fallout from yesterday's decision in Colorado where four Democrat-appointed judges ruled to remove former President Donald Trump from their state's primary ballot. In a decision that appears to be headed to the U.S. Supreme Court, the judges cited the January 6th committee's biased judgment that former President Trump incited an insurrection. But keep in mind, uh, that was something that the Senate acquitted Trump of on all charges. Well, joining me now with his reaction to all of this is Congressman Ron Estes. He serves on the House Ways and Means Committee, as well as the Budget Committee and the Committee on Education and Workforce. He represents the 4th Congressional District of Kansas. Good friend, Congressman Estes, welcome back to Washington Watch. Great to see you. Well, thank you, Jody.
5: I appreciate you having
1: me on today. Well, it's always great to have you. Uh, Let's just talk, uh, first of all, your overall reaction to the uh, news coming out of Colorado yesterday.
5: Yeah, it really was surprising. I mean, there's a lot of states, uh, several people who just want to oppose President Trump uh, being on the ballot, uh, have uh, brought up these claims about insurrection, and and, uh, in all previous cases it's been turned down. And you look at this, the whole totality of what happened within what Colorado did, Uh, there's seven Democrat-appointed justices, only four of them decided to vote this way, the other three said it's not right. And even the four that voted that way decided uh, said that they were traveling in uncharted territories. And it, it's really, when you when you look back, uh, President Trump's not been charged with insurrection by, uh, by Jack Smith on any of the court cases. In fact, nobody's been charged with insurrection, and, and certainly nobody's been convicted of it. So it's really a sad day in America when you have four judges who decide that their political preference is that uh, president Trump, or in anybody, uh, isn't on the ballot, and it, it's kind of like the things you expect in in Iran or one of the banana republics. It's not something you expect in American electoral politics.
1: Yeah, you're you're so right, and you know this is something. As you mentioned, the president has not been convicted of insurrection. Uh, in fact, has been acquitted of all of that. No one's been charged, to my knowledge, of insurrection at all in all of this. There has been due process that seems to have been totally ignored as well. And here the state Supreme Court of Colorado uh, using a crime of an individual who's been acquitted of those crimes, and they're saying, therefore, he he can't be on the ballot. This whole thing is just frightful. It's just unbelievable to me. And you, you, uh, uh, of course, have have brought up that that President Trump was not, Uh, charged of any of these kinds of things. So let me ask you, uh, Congressman Estes, this, I think, no question, is headed to the U.S. Supreme Court. How imperative, just for political stability in our country, how imperative is it to get a definitive judicial resolution on all of this as quickly as possible?
5: I think it is important for the U.S. Supreme Court to weigh in on this and, and, and make sure that it's clearly understood across the country. Uh, I mean, there were there were a lot of uh, destruction and damage done by folks in, on January 6th, and, and I don't condone that. They should not have been breaking windows, breaking doors, uh, entering into the Capitol building and, and doing the damage that they did. Uh, but... Uh, to, to try to come back and say that that was uh, an insurrection that was uh, incited by President Trump and, and led by President Trump, and therefore that disqualifies him for office, is, is beyond uh, the pale in terms of what we should consider. And and so it's important that the U.S. Supreme Court weigh in and and, and make sure that we, we get back to a fair, a fair and open democratic republic, which we are, and make sure that uh, the voters can choose who they want to select them – or vote against people that they don't want to to represent them and and that's that's where we should put the emphasis on and and I, i'm looking forward to the supreme court doing that and and helping make sure that there's a clarity on this and it, it brings closure to this situation
1: yeah, great point there. I want to play, I, I played this earlier as we began today's program. I don't know if you saw it or not. I want to go back and we can play clip one again. And I would like to get your reaction to this, Congressman. Uh, this is Senator Coons, clip one. I don't think it really matters if he's unfit to hold office. Um, we should all be encouraged by any action that makes it less likely that he will return to the presidency. Right, I don't care Uh-oh. if this is right or wrong. We should be encouraged by anything that keeps him from being elected again. How concerned are you by the left's willingness to embrace these kind of tactics?
5: Yeah, I think that's a very terrible position to take. I mean, in, in, in our country, in America, we focus so much on, on letting the people decide and select who's going to be their representatives. And to have folks come out and say that they're, they should actively encourage and support things that actually keep people from being on the ballot and and to give the voters uh, a choice uh, on who they have to represent them. It's it's chilling uh, to think through that. And you you know, the the whole discussion about insurrection as well, just it it pales, thinking back, uh, I saw or heard earlier today that uh, after the 14th Amendment was put in place, which is what the Colorado Court's using as their basis, uh, there were, six years later, there were six former Confederate officers who were there were 50, Six years later, there were 51 Confederate officers that were sworn in to Congress. So obviously, even at that point in time, uh, it was an indication that uh, we were going to move forward in the country and, and allow the voters to select who they want to represent them. And, and we shouldn't have individuals going out and, and making claims that uh, we should drum up anything they can in order to stop people from being on the ballot
1: we've got about 60 seconds or so left congressman what kind of reaction what are you hearing from your colleagues about all this yeah
5: when we when we first heard the ruling last night uh it was just kind of shock and surprise so many people that i was talking to at that point in time uh, that the the court would rule that way particularly in light of uh, all previous court rulings around the country in different states uh, were that this is not an appropriate uh, direction to take and or even cases were or dropped and pulled back. So this is really an outlier, uh, whatever this decision, uh, it sounds like it's just a partisan decision made by these four people in
2: Colorado.
1: Well, it is something we're definitely going to be following. Congressman Ron Estes of Kansas, we actually shared in a Bible study together while I was in Congress. In fact, it was held in my office much of the time. Always great to see you, my friend. Hope you and your family have a fantastic Christmas.
5: Well, thank you, Jody, and I appreciate you. Merry Christmas and happy holidays.
1: Thank you so much. All right, friends, stay tuned. After the break, break we're going to be discussing the migrant encounters at the southern border. And Arizona Sheriff Mark Danels is going to be joining me to discuss what's happening there in his communities. This is unbelievable what's taking place. We're going to cover it right after the break, so stay tuned.
4: Welcome back to Washington Watch.
1: I'm your host, Jody Heiss, Senior Vice President here at Family Research Council. Honored to be sitting in today for Tony. All right, uh, Washington, D.C. lawmakers are going to be heading into their Christmas recess with no border fix in place for the Biden administration's disastrous mishandling of our southern border. And this comes as U.S. Border Patrol apprehended yet again over 10,000 migrants at our border just yesterday. This is happening day after day. So what impact is this going to have on border communities, let alone our country? Well, joining me now, literally from the border, just a couple of miles from the border, is Sheriff Mark Danels. He's uh, the sheriff of Cochise County in Arizona. Sheriff Danels, welcome back to Washington Watch. Honor to have you. It's
2: an honor to be on your show. Nice to see you.
1: Well, it's great to see you again, and I know you are literally in your car right there at the border doing your job. Uh, but tell us what uh, you're experiencing there in Cochise County.
2: Well, over the last two and a half years, three, years, pretty much under this president, and, and again, I'm not trying to be personal with that, but it's a fact. Under this president, we've uh, come from having a pretty secure border. I call manageable to having an open border that's not manageable anymore. And to give you what I mean by that, over the last two years, just shy of two years, we've had in our local jail, we've had 2,803 people as of last Friday booked in our county jail for state border-related crimes. Out of that came over 100 juveniles that we dealt with, um, cost my taxpayers $8.6 million in the state of Arizona to address border crimes in one county here in Arizona.
1: Unbelievable. We're watching some footage right now. And again, all all the footage we're seeing at the southern border is just absolute, like you said, absolute out of control, an open border, thousands and thousands of people. Do you get the sense that the federal government, the federal agencies just absolutely do not understand the situation on the ground there or do they just not care
2: well they understand exactly what's going on i will counter that i mean give it a few months into it and we had this problem yeah i could say there might be a misunderstanding but you can't misunderstand the reality of what's going on the border the non-political statistics and records that are being set on this border the outcry by national sheriffs throughout the country on this by state governors and on and on that what's going on, on this border is real Sadly, Washington, D.C., members of Congress, to include the president of the United States, the Borderzar, Vice President Harris, and Secretary Marcus have chose to play political safety instead of public safety on the backs of every American, every community, every family, and every person in this country.
1: Uh, that is uh, extremely well said and powerfully said sheriff one of the things that I've been reading up in and that is concerning to me as if all of this is not horribly concerning but there seems to be reports of children being smuggled across the border uh and even more and more children uh that we're seeing there what what are you experiencing in that regard
2: so Cochise County is part of the Tucson sector Tucson sector is known for gotaway these are people that fight flight uh, that do anything they can, that can't walk up to a board like you see in Eagle Pass, Yuma, Arizona, where they, they have to be smuggled by the criminal cartels, uh, which are camouflaged 100%, mainly what we see, 97% what we see is single male adults. So that's where my crime stats come from. When you, over the last two years, we've had over 400 bounty pursuits of smugglers trying to run from us. We've had, we have a new law in Arizona since September 28th of 2022, until current time, these are a law called if you smuggle in the state of Arizona, you're charged for a class two felony for smuggling for profit. Just in my county alone, we booked 556 smuggler drivers that come to Cochise County uh, to smuggle for profit, working with, I call it international crime, working with the ruthless cartels. And a lot of people ask me this too. I think it's very important I share this. Of uh, the 2,803 people booked for border crimes in Cochise County for state violations, these are not, you know, coming across and being legally in our country. These are for state violations. Out of the 2,803, only 151 were foreign-born or legally in our country that were booked in my jail. What I'm saying by that is the majority, probably high 90% of the people that are coming to commit international crime are United States citizens which I think are committing treason to come down here and work with criminal cartels from uh, uh, another country.
1: Wow. I can't imagine the impact that this is having on local communities there in Cochise County. Uh, and, And last question for you, what kind of support do you need from the federal government? What would be a great help to resolve this disaster?
2: you know we national sheriffs i said as a chairman for national sheriffs border security and working with western states major county sheriffs in southwest florida we those four associations we've worked hard to bring attention to this trying to get the president of the united states to not turn his back on it i call this intellectual avoidance and abandonment with intended consequences we are dealing with the intended consequences right now we need this president starts with him to prioritize america's safety 9-11 should never be forgotten. and Right now, we've set that aside as we've opened up our borders. We've got to prioritize it. We need to remove the politics from it because it's public safety, national security, and humanitarian that we're trying to address here in our communities. And last but not least is we need the rule of law enforced, not set it aside, discretionary. And we need judicial oversight on this border because there is none right now.
1: Sheriff Mark Daniels, Sheriff of Cochise County in Arizona, hats off to you uh, and your workforce. Incredible job under horrible conditions. Uh, Our prayers and gratitude are with you. Thank you for joining us on Washington Watch. Blessings to you and your family, and Merry Christmas to you. All right, friends, stay tuned. Houthi militants are continuing their terrorist attacks on ships in the Red Sea. This is having a major impact on trade and commerce that we're all going to see as we go shopping. How should the U.S. respond? We'll be discussing that right after the break, so stay tuned. Much more coming your way in just a moment. It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. Welcome back to Washington Watch. Hope you're getting ready for a wonderful Christmas. Thank you for joining us today on Washington Watch this Wednesday edition. I'm Jody Heiss sitting in for Tony. Glad to have you with us. And as I mentioned a while ago, let me just reiterate again. We here at the Family Research Council are beginning a brand new season of our Stand on the Word Bible reading. It will start January 1st. And to get it started in the best way possible, we're offering a brand new resource, a Stand on the Word journal. And we want to send you a copy of that for your very own. It comes with spaces for notes. It comes with some great thought-provoking questions as you work your way through the Word and a whole lot more. As we head into 2024, now is a perfect time for you to get your journal and to join us on the Stand on the Word Bible reading program uh, for a tax-deductible uh, gift. We'd love to send you a free copy. You can, or you can get multiple copies if you like. Simply text the word GIVE to 67742. That's GIVE, G-I-V-E, to 67742, or visit tonyperkins.com. Okay, in response to increasing attacks on commercial ships of the Red Sea by Houthi militants, U.S. Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin announced the formation of what they're calling Operation Prosperity Guardian. It's a multi-country coalition to conduct joint patrols and to share intelligence uh, within the Red Sea area in the Gulf of Aden. Uh, and given all the, the recent Houthi announcements that their military operations will not stop, uh, will this coalition and hopefully some diplomatic efforts as well, will it be enough to restore some vital maritime trade? Well, joining me now to discuss this and more is retired Army Lieutenant Colonel Robert McGinnis. He's a senior fellow for National Defense here at the Family Research Council and author of Divided We Stand, The Globalist Scheme for a One World Government. All right, Lieutenant Colonel, thank you for joining us. Always great to have you.
6: I'm glad to be with you, Jody.
1: Well, let's start with uh, these Houthi militants. They've been very clear that they are going to continue attacking these ships of trade. uh, And it's all their response to Israel's war against Hamas. They don't plan to stop. Nearly 20% of global trade passes through this artery. Uh, Why has this been allowed to happen? I mean, you just have to ask, what's going on here?
6: Yeah, yeah. It does beg, uh, you know, the question, why has the the world, uh, the region and the United States allowed the Houthis to do what they've been doing. Now, keep in mind, they've had a civil war going since 2015. Uh, The Houthis are a Shia um, uh, Islamic group. They're aligned with Iran. So they're a proxy of Iran, Uh, just like uh, Hezbollah, Hamas, and other groups are working for the mullahs in Tehran. Now, keep in mind, also, Surprisingly, the Houthis have been incredibly effective over uh, the last couple of months since the 7 October attack by Hamas inside Israel. What the Houthis have done, not only have they disrupted maritime traffic in the Red Sea and the Gulf of Aden, uh, but they've also fired directly ballistic missiles into Israel 2,000 kilometers away. So they've been a very, very good proxy for the, the likes of the Grand Ayatollah sitting there in downtown Tehran doing his bidding, and yet, you know, we haven't really responded, and to a certain degree, because that is the poorest country in the entire region, uh, and surprisingly, perhaps to some Americans, we feed them through the United Nations from U.S. taxpayer dollars.
1: Well, let me ask you. I'm talking with retired Lieutenant Colonel Bob McGinnis. Last year, the Biden administration reversed the designation for the Houthi group as a terrorist organization. I have to believe that has some sort of impact. Your your opinion on that? Did did reversing that kind of designation have an impact of what we're seeing now?
6: Well, unfortunately, because they are such a poor Uh, backward country that is nothing but rubble and has been the battleground, as I said earlier, for well over the last decade and a half, uh, that there's not much trade that happens there. And in fact, the vast majority of the people are totally dependent upon outside aid, some of which I just indicated comes from the United States of America. And so, yes, uh, we should and could attack uh, the launch Sites of the ballistic missiles that are, uh, you know, targeting commercial and warships in the Red Sea, uh, but we haven't. Uh, and that really begs the question, what is the Biden administration doing here when they know full well that these are proxies of Iran, much like Hamas is? And yet, you know, of, uh, at least half of the you know, commercial shipping companies, the largest in the world, Uh, are not even using that waterway because of this danger. This is just going to drive up prices, not only in Europe, but certainly here in the United States as well.
1: Yeah, no question about that. Last question for you. How concerning is it that uh, reports are coming out, seems like daily, that our troops uh, have really been reduced to running defensive operations uh, in spite of the fact that they themselves are finding themselves targets for attack, and yet they're on the defense. Uh, how concerning is that to you?
6: Well, it's very concerning. We we have hundreds in Syria, eastern Syria, that have been constantly under attack from a variety of militia to include the Quds Force, which is the direct control of the Ayatollah in Tehran. And, and of course, other Shia militias In Iraq, go after the almost 3,000 U.S. soldiers there. And then, of course, we have people throughout the region doing other types of operations, Bahrain, uh, certainly near Israel, and so forth. So uh, we have not responded in a meaningful way. And I've said on many channels that if we're serious, we have to bring a hurt uh, to the Iranians. And we haven't done that. Uh, Under Ronald Reagan, we certainly did uh, in a number of ways, and they backed off. Uh, But under this administration, they are just very uh, afraid, apparently, of triggering something more of a regional war, which is quite possible. But the reality is I would argue we're already in a regional war with the proxies of Iran.
1: Very, very good point. Uh, Thank you so much. Uh, Retired Lieutenant Colonel Bob McGinnis, we always appreciate your expert opinion. Uh, Continuing this discussion, I'd like to go a little bit further in all of this as it relates to these attacks in the Red Sea, where, frankly, the Biden administration has allowed a band of uh, militants to bully the rest of the world into surrendering the freedom of navigation, which is obviously impacting trade and a host of other things. Joining me now Uh, To discuss, this is Gordon Chang, a distinguished senior fellow at the Gatestone Institute, also the author of The Coming Collapse of China and China is Going to War. You can follow him, by the way, on X, formerly known as Twitter, under the handle at Gordon G. Chang. Gordon, welcome back to Washington Watch. Always great to have you. Thank you so much, Jody, and, and Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas to you as well, my friend. Thank you so much. All right, what do you think about this? We have, uh, as we've already discussed, the world's largest shipping companies. They're rerouting vessels away from the Red Sea, and obviously this is creating delays uh, and rising costs are going to be expected, potential supply uh, just chain problems. What kind of economic impact uh, do we need to be looking for?
7: Well, certainly there's going to be economic impact on Egypt because about 10% of its gross domestic product are fees through the Suez Canal, and those are going to be way down. Um, Also, Europe is going to be especially impacted. It's already in a fragile state, and shipping between Europe and Asia is going to be impacted because the route around um, Africa is about 12,000 nautical miles longer and depending on the ship, we're talking between two and four weeks added to the journey. Um, you know, fortunately, uh, most of our shipping doesn't go through the Suez Canal, but nonetheless, it does affect globalization. Um, the world is going to deglobalize because people are starting to understand that the skies and the seas are not safe. But there is one thing, and this goes back to Lieutenant Colonel McGinnis, and that is, you know, we've got all this military power in the region. The Iranians are humbling us, and what they are doing is they are making us look feeble. And that has effects not only in that region, but also around the world, especially Asia.
1: Yeah, it really does. In fact, I've got an article right here in my hand about the uh, what seems to be uh, an ally forming more and more allies, but Russia with China, Iran, North Korea, all of these getting involved in this. and. Uh, look, we, we all know the Houthi militants are backed by Iran, but you have observed that China ultimately funds these attacks, and by us not responding, certainly makes us look weak. Go, go a little bit further for us on this, and specifically with the role of China. Yeah, China has been
7: financing what's been going on since October 7th. And we know that because, for instance, in the first nine months of this year, um, China's purchases of sanctioned Iranian oil was 60% above that in 2017. Now, Jody, 2017 is important because that was the last year before the Trump administration reimposed sanctions on Iranian oil. So essentially what's going on here is that, yes, the Houthis are firing the arrows, but really the, uh, the arrows are coming from Iran and China's paying for them. And we know this. We know that China's been violating our sanctions. We don't do anything about this And this makes the United States look um, incapable, as I mentioned, not just in the region, but everywhere else as well.
1: Do you have any reason why we would allow this to happen? I mean, China is breaking agreements and here we are, they're funding the very ones who are attacking us and attacking now the entire world through uh, limiting uh, trade and so forth. Why would we not respond and allow this to happen?
7: Well, to me, this is incomprehensible. Um, I think, though, that you can explain it because there are pro-Iran elements in the State Department, and there are also pro-Iran elements in the National Security Council. And I suspect that President Biden thinks that if there is a wider war in the Middle East, that that will have electoral consequences come November 5th, 2024. But I can only speculate what's going on inside the Oval Office. But uh, clearly, um, the American interests are not being served well by decisions that he is responsible for.
1: Well, I can't help but think that there will be consequences at the ballot box if they allow this to continue as well. But, you know, here we have something that I think the world, and this is why I love having you on and and uh, Lieutenant Colonel McGinnis as well, Most of the world looks at this as something between Israel and Hamas. But this is already much broader than that. As you've just explained, China is funding this. They are heavily engaged in the the back seat, if you will. Does President Biden not recognize the, the threat that China poses to the U.S.?
7: Well, if you listen to what he says, the answer to that is obviously no, um, because he keeps on talking about the relationship with China as a competitive one, even while China is stealing hundreds of billions of dollars of U.S. intellectual property each year. But more important, killing Americans. They're killing Americans with fentanyl, and he did it before with COVID. That's not a competitive relationship. That's an enemy um, taking casualties here. You know, really what we're looking at is China is supporting Iran in the October 7th attacks. China is also supporting Russia in the invasion of Ukraine. And China and Russia together are destabilizing North Africa by fielding insurgencies that look like war. So this is not a regional war in the Middle East. This is connected to a major effort to destabilize the world and to take down, take down the United States
1: yeah i think we cannot underscore that and highlight that reality enough and again while the world thinks this is between israel and hamas there is so much more taking place uh when you look into the hood look under the hood of all of this uh, you know and what you just described i can't help but think president biden not recognizing the threat of china just really highlights the possibility of compromise that the president may have with China. And I hope all this continues to be investigated. So, what should the Biden administration do? How, how do they tackle this issue? How should they be addressing it?
7: Well, first of all, there are Houthi ports. Um, and, and by the way, there is a ship that was boarded and was taken by the Houthis. And we know where it is. It's in a Houthi port. Um, we should be getting that ship back and we should be leveling that port. We should be going after the launch sites, as Colonel McGregor said. But also, the other thing is, um, if that doesn't work, then we just need to take out the Iranian oil ports. Um, and I think in a very short order after that, um, Iran will decide that it's no longer worthwhile to maintain the war against Israel and against the commercial shipping in the Red Sea. But you know, people will say it's unfortunate that we have to use force, and it is. And we may trigger a wider war, But the point is, once these misguided decisions that have been made for a very long time have created a situation where every way forward is dangerous. And the most dangerous way of all is not responding to attacks, because as we've not responded to attacks, the situation has deteriorated rapidly, not only in uh, Red Sea, but also in Iraq and Syria, which you referred to before.
1: Could not agree with you more. Thank you so much, Gordon Chang, Senior Fellow at the Gatestone Institute. Thank you for joining us on Washington Watch. Merry Christmas. Merry all right, Christmas, friends, Jerry. That wraps up this edition of Washington Watch. Thank you so much for joining us. And let me just close out with a verse from Romans fifteen thirteen. It says, Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. We have hope in our Lord. Hope you have a fantastic remainder of your evening. We'll see you tomorrow right here on Washington Watch.
0: Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener-supported